Welcome to Facilitating the Mission. In this episode, we'll jump into part two of Jeff Jackson sharing the story of Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. So this isn't a model that's inaccessible. No. I mean, it's very scalable model. It's great for if you do have a mega church. I knew that there's a lot of mega churches that Shepherd Staff now serves, but then there's also mostly regular sized churches. But the idea that and and this is something that we've covered, and I could put some links back to some guys that we've interviewed in the past, but you know, any size church can impact the world and send missionaries as long as they have this mindset and shepherd staff facilitates that thinking. Yeah. And and when I when I when I try to explain to people that are from their only experience has been traditional missions agency sending mechanisms, I, I explain it to them by saying, listen. We are a facilitating organization. What that means is we leave the home church in the driver's seat with their own people. Now, now, one of the things that fed into my, one of the final things that pushed me to actually start it was I was pastoring and I kept getting calls from missions agency people. And, and they all had the same spiel. You know, their spiel was, hey, we're here to empower the missions endeavors of the local church. And then they would want to come and talk and I would meet with them. But it all, what it always boiled down to is the agency, that agency had a vision to accomplish something somewhere around the world. And they were looking for me to contribute my people and my money to fulfill their vision. If I had somebody going that I felt was called to go to some other part of the world where they weren't working, they didn't want to partner. You were in more of a recruiting conversation you know, recruiting for us, not us serving you. Yeah. The phrase was coined very well by a really amazing missionary that I love and respect. He said, they said they were there to empower you and you actually felt exploited rather than empowered. I said, absolutely. They want my people and my money to fulfill their vision. That's why when Shepherd Staff, when it became clear in my mind, we had to be facilitators. We're truly here to empower your pastor, your church's global endeavors. So what are those and how can we help? They're, but they're your people. They're, these are your people. They're your members. They're your missionaries. And we're going to help you. We'll provide the back office admin side of stuff that has to be done. And then we'll engage you at whatever level you want to help you learn how to send and take care of those that God calls you to send direct to the field. So we're going to facilitate it. Long story short, a couple of years later, actually 2000, we launched fully as Shepherd Staff and then eventually, you know, got traction. And I, uh, I transitioned out of my church in, in 2003 to give full-time direction to Shepherd Staff. And it's funny because the first sort of traditional missions agency conference that I went to, people, you know, every, most, most of the people in the missions world know each other. So when you go to a conference, you're bumping into guys that you know. Well, that guy's from that organization. That guy's from that organization. You know, you all know. And everybody's sort of working within the same playbook. But here I am, and they're going, oh, Shepherd Staff. I've never heard of that. And, I, and so the first couple of conferences I went to, and this is kind of funny, when they say, well, I've never heard of Shepherd Staff. Tell me about it. And so I'd say, well, you know, we facilitate local churches to send direct. And literally, Brian, the demeanor of these people changed. And, and the attitude was like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? How dare you? How dare a church 
try to to do what missions agencies exist to do. Okay, so let's and let's pinpoint some of their beefs and respond to what those beefs are. So what would be besides the fact that you know, let's not even talk about the business model that they have right. and that this is a threat to that because it's disruptive. It's a new way of doing things and it might be a less costly and it may threaten our job security. Let's let's not put that on the table okay. at this point. But what what other things would they object to that you feel like Shepherd Staff responds to well? Well, I, I, I think they the their primary objection is that global missions is such a huge endeavor. It requires a, a certain level of knowledge and experience and connections that no local church has. And so, okay. so the mindset is, you know, local churches that side, try to send direct are setting the people they send, they're setting them up for disaster. They're delving into areas that they don't have the expertise to delve into. That was the demeanor. It wasn't really that they felt threatened. It was that, I mean, and that's my interpretation, obviously, because I don't know what's in their mind. The demeanor communicated like, oh, you know, here, if you think of the baseball analogy, here's this single A, you know, guy who's only managed a single A player or played at single A level. And now you're telling us up here in the big leagues that you have a, a, a role to play and you don't have any clue about what you're involving yourself in. I feel like you've raised some very real objections. Respond to those. So, I mean, it is true. It, it, it is true that there are, that most churches don't have, and of course technology is changing everything, but most churches don't have field experienced people, cross-culturally experienced people, or the network or connections that, are helpful at minimum <laughs> to actually accomplish something in some other part of the world. That that's true. But those the agencies that do and the people that do should be are are most of them have the right attitude where they can be tapped as resources to help you do it yourself. Gotcha. But the mindset is you need us to do it. And without us, you're not going to do it well. And it even kind of bleeds down into the, the missionary care realm. And actually, our term, the term in the missions world, is called member care, right? The term member care comes from, why, are they, why is it called member care instead of missionary care? Because it was developed for members of missions agencies. When, when they say member care, they're not thinking church member care. They're thinking agency employee, agency member care. So that's the, the word that's used. And so in that world of member care, as the missionaries that I knew on the field from the other agencies that had member care people, and now, you know, in a sense, my pastor and the elders of my church were our member care and the ladies in the church, they cared for us. We were able to stay emotionally and spiritually healthy while we were on the field, which is sort of the goal of the member care person in the agencies. What what ends up happening or what was happening, and I think still happens, is when somebody goes to an agency, when a missionary, a member of a local church goes to a traditional agency, that agency says, well, we're going to provide the care for our new member here. We're going to do the member care. So the church thinks we don't have to do that or we can't do that. And sometimes the agencies feed that. Oh, no, you, you're right. You can't do it. Let us handle this part of it. And the admin stuff, I get it. 
but as I've been involved in member care over the years, and I'm, you know, I'm part of this uh, now called the Member Care uh, Catalysts, and we're writing, you know, we're putting together a document on best practices for church-based missionary care. And I've been involved in this realm for a long time. The member care professionals, and, and keep in mind, member care professionals in the agencies, they're professionals. They're people with master's degrees in counseling and specialized trauma, and they, they absolutely essential. These are credentialed professional people. But even in that sphere, those people that navigate in that sphere are saying, look, 90% of what it takes to keep a missionary spiritually and emotionally healthy can be provided by their home church members and leaders if they're trained. So let us focus on the specialties. Let us focus on the 10% that are trauma, have experienced trauma that, that being on the field has brought to the surface crazy stuff that happened in their youth. But 90% of, and this is the mindset of the member care professionals that I know, they're saying, look, most of the member care, most of the care people need, missionaries need to stay spiritually and emotionally healthy can come from their home church if they're trained. Well, that, that fits right into our niche that we navigate in. Let's church, let's train your people, a small segment of your people on how to love on missionaries, how to encourage them, how to debrief them to a certain point. So you're not doing it. You're coaching church leaders to That's do it. That's exactly what we're doing. We're equipping right. the church to do what it should do. And one of the things that I that became really crystal clear to me when we first got started and, and we we're getting traction, and then we started to get traction outside of Calvary Chapel with some Southern Baptist churches and so forth. One of the key concepts that that I always navigated by is we don't want to do anything as an agency that the church can and should be doing themselves. We have to run it through that grid. Can we do it? Yes. But if we do it, are we keeping the church from taking its proper responsibility? Now, the church has responsibility on this too, because what I saw, you know, and what I've seen, and I think this is still true today, is churches don't recognize the value of returned missionaries. What they can bring to any church, their cross-cultural experience, what they've adjusted to, the depth of humility and faith to trust on God's people to give them money while they were over there, all of the inventory that a returning missionary has, churches in the U.S. don't recognize that as valuable. So then, well, who does? The missions agencies. So what happens? The guy goes on staff with the missions agencies. So the missions agency then continues to get better equipped at what it does, and the church stays, in a sense, in its infant stage in that realm by its own choice. And then, and then the pastors complain about the agencies. So the pastors complain about parachurch organizations that they themselves create. I'm kind of on a rant there, but... Well, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's, it brings out the unique value proposition that Shepherd Staff offers by coaching and facilitating and, and helping the church to send well. And maybe you could talk about sending well. For yeah. Anything. And so, so you know, over the years, uh, and, and one of the things that we had to wrestle with, uh, this was about 10 years ago, was, okay, you know, uh, we put a lot of weight in a church leadership saying, we think this person's called, we've seen their calling, they've served in our body, uh, we're good to send them. So we didn't want to, you know, we basically never wanted to superimpose 
Well, we wanted to limit the requirements that we had as a ministry to not usurp the role the church should play. So we didn't initially require specialized free pre-field training. We highly recommended it. We suggested it, but we didn't require it because, again, we want to leave the home church in the driver's seat. And so what ended up happening as time passed is, you know, there were not a lot, but there were some examples of people going out untrained or the church thought it had a sufficient in-house training program to prepare people for cross-cultural life. And it really didn't. And then the missionary gets out there and they struggle. And some of these things could have been seen before they got there. So we, you know, we started the training program that you went through, but we didn't require And that's where I met you in 2003 in Tijuana at, that's where we really got to know each other is when I was sent there. And, and man, that was, that was an incredible experience. That kind of equipping that Shepherd Staff was providing at the time was amazing. How is that need being met now? So when we did that, you know, we felt like there was going to be enough people that would see value in it. And then if we strongly suggested or recommended it to the churches that we were serving, that we could have a con, we would have, you know, it would make it worth doing it. Because it's a lot, you know, as you know, it was, it's labor intensive to put on a two or three week yes. training, especially if you're doing it in Mexico like we were. Uh, but what, but so what, what ended up happening was, again, we only suggested it. So eventually what happened is we, we didn't want to continue to do that because A, we weren't getting enough people. Not enough people were saying, thinking it was even worth, worth it. You know, why bother? Oh, I was raised up in my home church. It's a Calvary chapel. They teach verse by verse there. So, you know, I probably know more than most pastors around the world because I've been sitting under verse by verse teaching. That's kind of a, a mindset that floated around a lot of people. And so eventually what we ended up doing is we, we there was a direct correlation between people that had received specific pre-field training for cross-cultural ministry and those that hadn't and how long they stay on the field and how they do while they're out there. And then we surveyed, we surveyed our missionaries at the time, and we found out that all of them said that they wouldn't want to receive anybody on the field that didn't have pre-field training. So the people that went to the field without pre-field training are now saying there's value and we'd rather have people that are going to come work with us, go through pre-field training. <laughs> and so a lot of other factors came together and about, I don't know, 10 years ago, we made decision, we require pre-field training. And it's got to be from one of our approved training ministries that that's basically what they do and they really know what they're doing and they're all stocked and led by former field missionaries. So that was a big deal. I mean, we our board wrestled that through uh, because it it sort of, you know, does that really mean, you know, what does that do to our, one of our key fundamental core values, respecting the role of the local church? But we did. We said, you know what, that that's part of sending well. And that's kind of to get around, back around to your question, sending well is a process. It starts pre-field and then it continues on on the field and it continues on receiving people back. It's a, it really is a process. So churches that send well need to recognize that making sure that their people, before they send them, have at least an introduction to cross-cultural ministry, language acquisition, interpersonal dynamics, you know, all the stuff that's covered in these two to three week intensive pre-field training programs, that's part of their sending well process. Jeff, let me ask you, those that sending churches that object to that training requirement do those churches tend to have 
missions experience, you know, maybe a missions pastor that was on the field, or do they just not have, is there just like an ignorance of what it takes? Yeah, it's an ignorance. Most that object to it, you know, they're, again, their mindset is, the mindset is, hey, they've been part of our church. We, we've vetted them. We know their character. We know, the, and then they just don't see that there's a difference between a family moving to Texas and a family moving to Tanzania. I would want to be trained to move to Texas. Yeah, you might want to be moved. Yeah. But these, a lot of these guys, they just think, hey, this person been sitting under my teaching ministry. They've been part of our church. We have people from different ethnicities in our church. Yeah. Why is, you know, you're, you're overkilling, you're limiting the ability of the spirit to shape and mold people and prepare them. It's, it's uh, mainly done out of ignorance. And, and the same churches that said that 15 years ago are now saying you were right. And now they send their people to us. The churches that say that where we say, look, if they don't go to the training, we're, we're not we're not your organization if they're unwilling to be trained. OK, yeah. well, the ones that that choose to send, you know, without training, some of them are still doing it. I don't know how they're you know, I don't know the stats on how their people are doing, but it's either, you know, look, this is part of sending well. And we know what we're talking about on the quality of these training programs. And trust me, if you want to send well, that starts with making sure that the people who go have some foundational level of training. That's a great distinction. Our experience, just doing it in Tijuana, I mean, like 20 minutes south of the U.S., you know, there's, I mean, there's such a lack of infrastructure just in Mexico Mm. that we're used to in the U.S. that unless you, I mean, if you're on vacation in Mexico, you don't really see it. But if you're with the way that you set training up where you are interacting with locals and living with locals, you really, you know, having to travel and get around in buses and having to do tasks, you really, really see what it, and that's just in Mexico, what it takes to live in a foreign country versus living in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Tijuana is a developing nation and it's a developing nation city. So you drop somebody into Tijuana, you are dropping them into a lot, you know, what it's like most of the places where they're going to go live, you know, and serve. And so that's why, you know, one of our terminologies that we use, you know, about that, the beauty of Tijuana is it's just across the border, but it's a world away. And the tacos are amazing. And the tacos have the best taco stand ever right down there. La Gloria. Tacos La Gloria. (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I miss that place. So, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, you know, our story. And then, you know, and I, I want to, one other part of the story that I think it's important, uh, this might be important for other people, pastors or leaders to, sure, to know, um, is, you know, I never, when I started Shepherd Staff, I never envisioned directing it full time. I, I just thought I could create this thing, get it running, put somebody else in charge of it, and then I could keep pastoring. What happened for me, and and I and this resonates with a lot of pastors, is throughout the years as a pastor, as the senior pastor especially, most of my thoughts every day were about my church. What what can we do to improve the men's ministry? How is the women's ministry doing? You know, so that when I had time to think, my thought was, how are God's people doing that I'm responsible for, and how are we meeting their needs, and how are we being what God's called us to be in the local community and around the world. What happened was I it was just an aha moment around um, 2002 or so 
when shepherd staffs getting traction and we're, we're 40 or 50 missionaries that we're serving. And it was like, without think, without mentally acknowledging it, I was spending my free time thinking about how to help churches take care of their missionaries. I was thinking about what role shepherd staff could play in that. And, and one day the Lord just kind of in my, in my prayer time, it was just like the Lord said, recognize that when you have free time, you're not thinking about this, this flock anymore. Your thoughts are about shepherd staff, about how it can further my global purposes. And it was like, it was like an aha moment. And, and I said, basically my, my, the thought going on in my mind and my heart was, Lord, does that mean that I need to, because I'm not giving the church what the church deserves, a, a shepherd who cares about them and they're, they're high, they're high priority to him. So I'm doing a disservice to the church when I'm spending my free time thinking about all these things that are not directly church related. And then shepherd staff is the church you're pastoring, the church I'm pastoring. And then the, and then the shepherd staff was at the point where it needed a full-time director for it to be that all the, so for the church and for shepherd staff to be all that God wanted it to be, I couldn't supply both of those any longer. There was a fork in my road. And so what I did was I, I sought counsel and I laid it out and I said, look, everybody that, that I've asked to pray for me, we, you know, here's the scenario. Would you pray for me and see what God shows you? And, and the upshot of it is that obviously they said, you know, you have to look at it. Oh, they, and it was funny because without talking, was, some of them don't even know each other. They came back and said, you have to view it through a stewardship lens. And they said, you've been given this inventory this life experience, this ministry experience, and now you're a steward of it. So where, looking at it through the stewardship lens, where would the inventory that God's given you be most useful for his kingdom? Not where you want to be, but where are you most useful for his kingdom? And they said, it looks to us like God's given you this unique ability to connect with a number of churches, train people. You have some level of respect among pastors and missionaries you could keep pastoring your church, and that's a noble call, but are is that good stewardship with the inventory that God's given you? So I transitioned out of the church. But that pivotal moment was, I and, and the way I'm wired, if I'm going to pastor, I'm a pastor. I mean, I love these sheep. That's who I'm thinking about. That's who I'm caring about. And when all of a sudden, inadvertently, that's not the group of people and the thing that I'm thinking about as my primary role in God's kingdom, it's this other thing, then I'm doing a disservice to that church. That makes sense. So I gave it up and, um, you know, went full staff, full time with shepherd staff. And so, you know, now, you know, it's like, and I think I've used this term, I, I literally, I refer to myself, I'm the Forrest Gump of God's kingdom. I just, I stumble around and God lets me meet powerful and influential and incredibly godly people. And they like what I'm doing. And so they've given me is so much resources, so much wisdom. And and here we are, you know, all these years later, we're like, yeah, we're serving, you know, 130 churches and 240 or so of their people in 60 countries. And, you know, we're, we're about half Calvary Chapel now and a lot of Southern Baptist churches, a lot of independent churches. And it's like this niche that God's given us, he's honoring it. And exceedingly abundantly above all that I ever originally thought when the vision was given. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. To learn more about becoming a missionary with Shepherd Staff, 
go to ssmfi.org slash join. Connect with us on Facebook or Twitter by searching at Chef Staff on either platform.